my pleasure to welcome you to the Clark Howard Show, our mission to serve and empower you so you make better financial decisions in your life. In today's episode, if you're an entrepreneur or someone who has a side gig, I feel like I've neglected you. I want to make sure you have all the info you need to save for your future. Also, college students are headed back to campus. I have a special warning for you about campus health insurance. So I want to talk right now about a glaring problem in the workforce. In the United States, we talk all the time about how much we value small business people. The lifeblood of America is our small businesses. All the politicians say it all the time. Applause line, you know, it's like perfect. You want to get applause from a crowd, start talking about how much you love small business, blah, 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 blah. But a lot of the tools you need in small business aren't readily available, the ones that big businesses have. And one of the things that's really tough if you are, let's say, freelancer, you are a one-person company or a very small company, any kind of non-traditional, you don't have what you have at a big company. You don't have a 401k. And truth be told, a lot of people who are employees of small businesses, they don't have that as a small business either. So you fall behind on savings too. But there are ways now that are pretty easy and the biggest change in the marketplace is how inexpensive it is for you to save for retirement in a one-person entity or a small business just like people do at big companies. The strategies are a little different. There are some wrinkles to them. But the craziest irony of all is you as an individual can build retirement savings cheaper now than people who work for many mid-sized businesses where in the 401ks there may be high fees in the plan. You can avoid those. All right, so rule number one, when you are freelancer, running your own place, whatever, you're a one-person entity, do you know you have access to doing what's called a self-employed or solo 401k. So let me tell you about this creature that almost nobody knows exists. A solo or self-employed 401k, they're widely available from the discount brokers and generally at no fees for setup or administration. Because they do what's called a prototype plan, one that the IRS has already said, this is just fine. So you can open a a one-participant 401k plan, as it's sometimes called. That's what the IRS calls it. And you can put aside a great deal of money in it if you're doing well with your small business or your freelance stuff, whatever it is, you can put aside, gosh, $19,500, maybe $20,000 now. It's right in that range. It says that in 20 and 2021, it was 19,500. Yes, I'm thinking, yeah, okay. So 
So 19.5. And if you're over 50, you're able to do $26,000. Now, you got to have the money. You got to be making the money. But you're able to put aside huge chunks. So that's the base. That's like the same as you would have at a big company 401k. And so you can do a traditional or you can do a Roth. If you're in a higher tax bracket with your business, you can do the traditional. If you're in a lower tax bracket with your um, freelance work or what you're doing as a one-person company, then you can do the Roth version. But listen to this. There's a special benefit that you're allowed to do what's called employer non-elective contributions where you can do 25% of what you make as a self-employed individual, and you can put aside massive amounts of money into the plan. So you might find that you can put in 40000 or whatever. So you can go read how the, the self-employed or solo 401k works, at any of the discounters at Schwab, Fidelity, Vanguard, or you can go to the IRS briefing, which is actually written in something similar to real English, but their search would be one participant 401k, and you'll find their briefing on it that gives you the contribution limits and how they work. So that's something you have available to you, but you have to have the free cash flow to do it. If that's more work than you want to do, or you're not making a huge amount, do your Roth IRA. You're allowed to, you don't get a current income tax deduction, but you're able to put money in a Roth IRA, $6,000 for an individual, $7,000 if you're 50 and over, and do that. You also have another option that's even simpler than the self-employed 401k, and that is a one-participant 401k. You can do a SEP, a Simplified Employee Pension. Requires virtually no paperwork, and you can do up to $58,000 into a SEP. With, I'm telling you, like no paperwork. What happens is it instantly becomes your own traditional IRA is, is basically what it becomes. And these are all available from the low-cost companies that don't have salespeople lurking to raid your wallet. And with any of them, you can just throw the money into the target retirement fund closest to the year you're going to retire. So this is a big shift in the marketplace. These tools exist now to do your own retirement plan. And I spoke to a group during the pandemic where I did it by Zoom. I spoke to a small business group. People were from around the country. And I talk about this stuff all the time. But people who who aren't into this, I really got a real strong look-see how little information is available out there and how little awareness there was about these kind of tools to save money for your future. And I want you to know about them, and I want you to build that financial security for retirement, just like somebody could or would, who works for some big company. 
David in North Carolina wants to know, when buying a used car, I always take it to the local dealership to have it checked out. What if the used car is being sold by the dealership or another dealership? Would you take their word for it? (laughs) No way. What you can do with so many brands now is there are shops, uh, particularly for European and Asian brands, there are shops that specialize in those brands, independent shops. So you can go to one of them. They do this all the time where they charge you a fee to check over the vehicle you're thinking of buying. And they don't want to mess this up because they don't want you to be an angry non-customer in the future if they overlook something and you end up with a real problem vehicle. If you're buying a domestic brand, there are plenty of independent automotive repair facilities you can go to and pay them to do a checkup on a vehicle. And in the eBay Motors era, there are independents that just do inspections of vehicles for purchasers. So this is a business you'll find available, not necessarily even buying on eBay Motors. There are people who do this in every midsize and large metro area in the country. This is from Kieran in Florida. I have a townhouse in Jacksonville, Florida. I lived there for three years. It's my rental property now. In November, it will be five years since I've owned it. My long-term goal is to own rental properties for cash flow and live on that. This property doesn't give much cash flow, and last year I spent around $6,000 for HVAC. My question is, should I sell this property and eventually build the rental property portfolio or get a HELOC to build a rental property portfolio? So... You've owned it four years, if I follow the math problem. Almost five. Okay. Yeah, so live there three years. Okay. So what's happened in those five years is the value of that property has grown so much, and you're right on the edge of losing your ability to sell it and pocket that gain tax-free. You probably have a quite large increase in value from what you paid for it. So... The other problem is the home value has stepped up enough that you're probably not getting the 1% rule. The 1% rule is that the rent you can charge per month is 1% or more of the current estimated value of the property. And with the run-up that's happened, odds are you can't get more than 1% of the property value in rent. So for both of those reasons... You might consider selling it. The gain will be uh, tax-free, up to a quarter million for an individual, 500000 for a couple. And then you've got money that I would sit on, wait for the real estate market to cool, and then you buy a rental property. Your depreciation on the property will be based on what you paid for it, where right now the depreciation is based on what you paid for a property that's probably worth a lot more now. And after enough years, you're going to lose the ability to sell the property free of capital gains tax. So unless you've got a property that you said it's not cash flowing a lot, um, if you have had that big run up in value as properties have, and certainly Jacksonville a lot of years has been one of the hottest increasing markets in the country, I think I'd sell it and take my profits tax-free, and then wait for a better day to accumulate a rental property. Speaking of rental properties, this is from Thomas in Virginia. My girlfriend has a rental property with a nearly new refrigerator still under warranty from the retailer. 
The tenant and my girlfriend have wasted hours and many calls attempting to get warranty <sighs> service on the unit. This has dragged on at least six weeks now due to the fact that the retailer keeps canceling the service call to repair the unit. After four cancellations in six weeks, she had to buy a new refrigerator for the tenant. What options does she have now available to her to resolve the problem? Customer no service is exactly that. Now, Krista, you chose not to read the name of the retailer in this case, and I think it's important to read it because that's, okay, go ahead, yeah. that's why Thomas is having so many problems. Thomas's girlfriend's having so many problems. It's Sears. It's Sears. Mm-hmm. Sears is um, dead man walking. And so uh, a warranty from Sears is worth nothing. And getting service from Sears, we started hearing the problems with Sears service calls several years ago. And uh, Eddie Lampere, who I've got to be careful what I say about him, the guy who, who bought Sears and Kmart and drove them into the ground, did not really understand retail. And service after the sale does not exist. So you can't squeeze blood from a turnip. The ability to get Sears to do anything about this or any leverage against Sears doesn't truly exist. The only thing I can suggest, it may not, it may not help at all. And so I'm reaching, reaching at straws now. I'm using a lot of uh, trite phrases right now because this one's tough, is to file a complaint about Sears with the Better Business Bureau and see if that shakes somebody loose there who will do something about it. But the fact that to uh, take care of her tenant, she did the right thing. She replaced the refrigerator. And this is just terrible because the Sears problems seem to go on and on. Next, I got to ask you, you have a kid in college. There's something that you're expected to pay for that you got to know you're almost certainly getting ripped off on. My middle child, my daughter, Steffi, is a college senior. And every year, I have to do this stuff that now she's old enough I have her do it, where they have mandatory student health coverage unless you can prove you have health coverage elsewhere. Well, I'm one of those lucky people who qualifies from one of the things I do for group health insurance. Even though I'm old enough to be on Medicare, I'm not eligible for Medicare because I still get health coverage from one of the places I do stuff, the TV stuff I do. And so we have to do this paperwork and do this form that saves me several thousand dollars a school year instead of ending up with what's typically really crummy campus health insurance. Here's the funny thing. I have two children under the age of 26. I have one older. So I have family health coverage. And this is one case where it's cheaper by the dozen because the health coverage is the same if I had two eligible children or 20. I pay the same premium. Her coverage essentially is like free on the group health insurance. And it's much better coverage than she could get from the campus. Let's say you're not in the situation I'm in. Do you know that your son or daughter may be able to buy their own health coverage 
on uh, the Obamacare exchange or whatever it is in your state. You go to healthcare.gov and it'll take you to where you have to go. They may be able to get a policy for lower premiums than what the college-based coverage would be. And normally it's going to be much better coverage than they're going to have at the university. There's a story I saw in the New York Times, though, and I've had people say, you know, they don't let you know you can even opt out of it. They just say you have to buy it, or they present it as if you have to buy it. Krista has her daughter going off to college, to her first choice college. She made it into Krista's school that she went to, Boston College, that only really smart people could go to second, have never <laughs> gone there. Stop. Yeah. <laughs> go. It's true. I never <laughs> could have. But yes, thank you. You probably saved me a lot of money. Is it like 3000 a school year? 4000 It's around that, yeah. So this is common at state universities, really elite private schools at non-elite colleges like I went to. They will Stop have you. <laughs> uh, they will have you buy this stuff and pretend that it's a mandatory thing. And if you have coverage elsewhere or you obtain coverage elsewhere usually you're not going to have to buy their garbage and you need to know it because it's just a padding of the college bill because the coverage they offer is really not very much okay let's get to some questions nathan in georgia says i'm 37 years old and just started a new job and i have an option to join the company 401k the company does a three percent match my question is, do I put my money in pre-tax or in the post-tax Roth option? So if you're 37, it's really a great idea to go in the Roth unless you're making a ton at the company you're working for. So what is a ton? Generally, you got to get up to where you're in the multi-hundreds of thousands of dollars a year before a traditional... 401k would make sense over a Roth IRA. So in your case, the company match automatically goes pre-tax traditional 401k. So as a general rule, if you're a single individual and you're earning less than like $170,000 a year, then you want to do the Roth 401k. If you're a married couple, and you're earning more as a couple than, let's say, 325000 a year right in there, uh, if you're earning less than that, you do the Roth version. If you're earning more than those numbers, that's when it really starts to make sense to do traditional. This is from Brian in North Carolina. I'm a 33-year-old bartender and server who just passed the North Carolina real estate exam. I'm finding out that having a credit card is going to be essential to being successful in my new career after never having had one. I've always paid cash or used my debit card for everything I've ever needed, and I'm somewhat confused as to what type of card would be best to serve this purpose, even after looking over advice on your website. Please help this dummy. Okay, Brian, first of all, don't say that about yourself. Anybody who can work as a bartender and remember 12 people's orders at once and know automatically how to make each of those drinks. I don't even know what the liquors are. I mean, forget everything that goes <laughs> into a mixed drink. You should never say you're a dummy. So um, how to get your first credit card. A couple of things you can do. One 
is you probably saw on my briefing on this the pedal card you should see if you can qualify for that visa pedal is p-e-t-a-l card and it's one that uses alternative means to determine your credit worthiness even when you don't have a traditional credit report and they may or may not decide to extend a visa card to you but that would be a great way for you to start building a credit profile the second is the, the more common is to go to a credit union near you in North Carolina and see if they offer what's generally generically called a fresh start program where you apply for a credit card where you're going to have to typically put some money in savings at the credit union. It's different than a secured card. You're not going to have to pay an application fee or anything like that. You're just going to have a limit that will adjust over time first based on what you put on deposit in savings, and then later you'll graduate over time to a real credit card. Be wary and stay away from any solicitor for secured cards where they're typically going to charge you an application fee, an annual fee, and ongoing junk fees to establish credit for yourself. And this question is from Fred in Texas. He wants to know how he can sell his iPhone 6. So an iPhone 6 being older like it is, is uh, not going to bring a large amount of money. So the better thing usually is when there's a trade-in promotion, usually around Black Friday, where you can trade in older iPhones against a new one, that's where you're going to get the maximum value for your older iPhone 6. But if that's not appropriate for your circumstance and you need to sell this, I've got a list of places you should go to and get quotes from. There are tons of companies out there that make offers on phones. And what's stunning is the enormous differences and what they pay one to another. Like one of the tests we did on a newer iPhone, the offers range from $80 to $360 for the same phone and everywhere in between. I have a list for you of the places that typically will offer more to you when you're selling your phone. But it doesn't take that long to go to these websites and put in and see what they'll offer you on a 6. But I do want you to know a 6 is just not going to bring a lot of money. And that list is on Clark.com. Um, author Dallas Cox did the most recent survey of these companies, just so you know. And Dallas is very, very thorough in her research. She's awesome. So I want to thank you for joining us. Please visit the prior mentioned Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com for more money-saving advice you can trust. <laughs>